This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to welcome on the show with me today, retired F-16 pilot, host and creator of the Leto Files YouTube channel and former guest, Chris Leto. Chris, welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Glad to be here. It's good to have you on, and you are uh, in lo- on location uh, right now, aren't you, out in Turkey? Yes, well, I'm in Ankara, Turkey. It's the capital, and we flew into Istanbul, spent a week there, and I looked into, I had three days in Kumbergas, is where a Turkey UFO was, so I got to combine that with uh, a vacation or holiday, really show the kids, my son, where he was born, and, and take a trip through Turkey. It's been over, four, it was over 40 degrees, though, this week, I think the hottest time in 60 years in Ankara. Uh, but yeah, it's great to be back. Nice. Well, I've just we've just been saying before we hit record how bad the weather is currently in the UK as there's kind of wildfires around the planet. The UK is being flooded more or less. So yeah, pretty wild time weather-wise. But we're going to finish off talking about the, the Turkey UFO and we'll give some context to that later because like you say, your, your family's very kindly putting up with you doing some research while on vacation so that's uh that's very kind of them but that's that's what happens to many of us in the ufo topic it takes up a lot of our lives um chris uh you've been on the podcast before if people are looking for a whole intro to you your background and um how you got involved in this i suggest people just search chris leto you'll find it on that ufo podcast and chris's channel as well it's got almost a hundred thousand subscribers so um many of you may have subscribed to that already uh but chris i want to talk about the here and now it's been a wild couple of weeks the the hearings that happened in the us are now just a few weeks ago you were very lucky to attend you flew out to washington um how was that as an experience it was amazing actually it's my first time really in congress i've been to dc before but i i, I went to the mall I, I do love dc it's a very it, I'm proud to have that city as the capital you know it's a really interesting city beautiful all the the malls are free so I've been there before, but I hadn't been inside Congress. I'd never gone to a hearing. It was my first hearing. And it was so it was very exciting. Uh, I got to meet with Martin Willis was there. I've worked with him before and, and he actually met me there. And yeah, I would say it was an electric atmosphere. Exciting. As someone who's never been to, to Congress uh, in the US or ever really watched one of these things before because I've never had an interest in watching oh US politics I'll stick on C-SPAN or whatever the channel yeah. might be um, it had a very strange looking atmosphere in the sense it was almost like a film premiere there was all these people queuing up outside and was that the feeling you got was it was it strange in that sense that it was there was like an electricity in there for what is a political setting yeah definitely um yeah, I showed up the day before to try and scope out where the where the hearing would be, how to get in, and yeah, they were very surprised. You know, I, one uh, there was an aide. He actually didn't tell me who which congressman's aide he was. Uh, he just gave me his first name, but he actually showed me to to the room, and he was surprised at at the the level of of interest. I think most everybody there seemed surprised by by us being there. You know, by people showing up, they seemed really. Um, a little shocked to be how, how many people were there. You know, they put it in a hearing room, but there was there was only 30 seats. So we found out the day before there was only 30 seats. And initially I was going to show up at seven uh, to get in by 10. And that wasn't early enough. You know, uh, Randall Nicholson, he stayed overnight. And then there were people queuing up at uh, 
three thirty and and five. So Martin Willis called me at night. Hey, you need to you need to come in. I did not wake up, but uh, got there around six forty five, and it was quite interesting. Tim Burchett, he he came. He was there uh, at six. He came six a.m. and walked through the line and said hello to everybody. And then he came again later. I got to meet him when we were waiting outside the room actually uh, at at around nine o'clock. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. There were so many people in the line. You know, I met all these people. Daniel, uh, Danny Sheehan was there. Leslie Kane got to meet got to meet her. That was really exciting. Uh, Sean Ryan was standing behind me. You know, in line. I got a picture with him and uh, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. You know, they came down the hall with their film crew. That was exciting. And yeah, there was CNN was there. They they asked for interviews with Martin Willis uh, and myself and other people. So it was it. It was super exciting. Um, you know, Sarah, she's uh, one of our Discord members. She didn't even get in the room, actually. It was cut off right behind me, and I was the last one to get in the room. She went into the overflow room, and she said it was it was exciting in there. You know, so even in the overflow room, uh, it was exciting. That that was really, yeah, the feeling is all these people there. Most of, Everyone I talked to was their first time going, apart from, I don't know about Leslie Kane and, and Daniel Sheehan, et cetera, but everyone else was their first time being there, kind of like me you're you're not going as an ordinary member of the public you've got a military background retired f-16 pilot were you privy to maybe some extended or different conversations with people who were there you, you mentioned timber shit and and anyone else what were your kind of conversations like you were having i guess uh, i guess i missed a lot of it um because there were so many people it was so busy you know if i if i had to go back I would have spent more time trying to track people down to, to get interviews, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we, we got a tour afterwards and that was probably the most interesting uh, conversation I had was with the, the aides. So the Congressman aides, Congressman Fry, he's from South Carolina and Sarah, I just mentioned her. She's up from our, our discord UAP society discord. She came and she set up a meeting with uh, Congressman Fry's aides. And so we had about a 15 minute meeting, just, just uh, they're taking notes and they're and basically asking what what I thought was uh, the key points coming out of the hearing, um, and so that was interesting. And they they seem knowledgeable. It, it's not they're on the oversight committee. You know, there's what I learned is there's all these layers in Congress. Obviously, it's a very busy place. You know, if you can imagine that these congressmen, I walked all around. Uh, they have their their little rooms. You know, and they they come from their states. They have to be there four days a week. And if you can imagine, they have thousands of, you know, millions could be uh, of constituents. And so th they have many topics going on. And, and that was another thing I took away from the hearings is these congressmen are really busy. You know, they're, the UFO topic if, is not really even a mainstream topic yet. You know, it's getting there, I think, I hope. But um, even that, they were, they were giving time to the topic, uh, if that makes sense. So it, was, it, was, it, it felt like it was being more uh, of an issue. For sure. And and after the hearing, especially, it, you know, us just being there, everyone asking all these questions, the level of interest, I think just kind of woke Congress up a little bit, or at least the aides that I talked to, the people that were there, just, you know, what is that going on? Why is there, why is the, we can't walk down this hallway because, the you know, there's so many people filling up the lines. What are they waiting for? So I think it just kind of, um, kind of opened their, opened their eyes to this issue. And that was probably the, the most detailed conversation I had. And, and my main point was we need to protect the whistleblowers It is yeah. the main thing. You know, we're not going to get any more information if the government can continue their successful repression 
of, of whistleblowers. Um, yeah. And, you know, David Grush did everything legally uh, over a period of years, and he's still getting reprisals. You know, he's still getting this uh, leaks in the press. He's still getting attacked. And he did everything legally, you know, and and so that I mean, that's pretty bad. And then if you imagine, I've always been talking about, um, I don't think we're going to have any true change in America until we can deal with like Snowden, you know, because Snowden was, a, he's a serious whistleblower and his claims were found true in two federal courts and still he's kept out of the US, you know, and that's, that's been proven correct. The NSA illegally stole everyone's information, including all Americans, and he's still out of the US. And, and so this is, despite what everyone thinks he did, or maybe he released some bad information, the fact that he was proven correct and hasn't been allowed back in, you know, how can we say that we're going to protect uh, UFO whistleblowers, right? And uh, yeah, you know, David Grush did everything legally, and he's still receiving reprisals. So that was my main point to the to the Congress people is, look, that if you really want to get to the bottom of this, if you really want transparency, then we need to protect the people that are willing to speak out, the, the people that are courageous enough to speak out. Yeah, I think the content of the the hearing has been discussed on this podcast, on yours and every other podcast really well over the last couple of weeks. So we won't tread over too much old water. I think I'd love to speak to you about, you mentioned David Grush and the pushback he's had, especially in the last week um, with that article in The Intercept. I've not discussed it yet on the podcast. I'll be doing that later on in the breakdown. This show will come out first. The breakdown will come out in a couple of days time. Um the, the article, for anyone who hasn't seen it, was a piece by Ken Klippenstein, I believe is the, the journalist's name. And I think that the overwhelming opinion of it that I saw, in my opinion, it was a very poor taste article, um, sort of yes. gutter journalism, where <laughs> yes. they essentially used um, David Grush's past medical records and uh, his issues he may have had with alcoholism given obviously many veterans do suffer from PTSD and issues with alcoholism and other things due to what they've done and seen and other people do as well to bring that up in an article especially in 2023 when mental health well-being wellness is, is such a, a huge topic it seemed an awful awfully poor choice of tact were you surprised when you saw that article come out I, I was actually um yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's very distasteful. I don't think it really adds anything positive to the whole scenario. You know, it's it for me, it's really just to get clicks. That, that was really all I could tell from it. Um, and if you look at that, you call him a journalist, but I, I would I would disagree with that. I, <laughs> I don't think maybe he's a journalist. I Much of his stuff is pranks. He's done a lot of troll, trollery. He does troll pranks on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm just not impressed at all. And I think it's very distasteful. And I think in the short run, obviously, they'll get more clicks. You know, good. There's no such thing as as bad publicity, they say. But I think it really did hurt the Intercept's brand. I hope it did. I never read the Intercept before. But just the fact that they would publish something like that, and then they're willing to take all this heat, and they're going to back up uh, this guy. Yeah, I, I thought it was so distasteful. I, and Apart from that, I really think it highlights the weakness or the the weakness in the mental health institutions that we have and the FOIA requests, you know, because that was actually founded out th through a FOIA request to Virginia. So he was obviously tipped off 
by someone on the inside, someone that, you know, had some dirt. He's obviously just searching for dirt on David Grush. Someone pointed him in this conspiracy. direction in Virginia. Yeah. He he confirmed that on a Twitter space as well, didn't he? That's not conspiracy that someone tipped him off. He literally said, yeah. I was told the dates and times and specifics of where to go and look. And that's something he probably should have kept his mouth shut about and let people just speculate on. But sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was wild yeah. that he, he even admitted that. Yeah, well, I think it's obvious just from reading it, you know, from reading the article, because how would you know, you know, so FOIA, right? I'm really disappointed in the FOIA you know, Freedom of Information Act uh, for many reasons. You know, it's the point is it's it, it, I think of it as a, a a law that allows the citizens to know what's the government, what the government is doing. Right. The, the, the whole point of the FOIA Freedom of Information Act is that we can request as normal citizens to find out what our government did and what it's done in the past and what it's doing. And so that it, it's a law that obviously the government doesn't want to do that, right? They, they don't want to release information, but they were, they're required to, and they are. And, and the point of it is when they black out all those things, you know, when they remove the information, when they redact these, it should be to protect the people, right? They're, the whole point of it, or one point of it is to protect the identity of the people that they're doing uh, that. What's the point of redacting then? You know, if they're, they're hiding secret information, but releasing the people's information uh, I think they're they're hurting the process. You know, it's it's even worse. You know, that if they didn't release anything, so they're required to release something. It's almost like they're they're releasing information uh, on purpose to to cause harm. You know, to to hurt the FOIA office because they don't want to release it um, because they shouldn't. You shouldn't have been able to track his name, right? But of course, they did his address. They have his address in there. Um, I've also noted the same thing on the Range Fowler reports. So John Greenwald's done an excellent job. He takes so much heat, you know, for, for things he says, but I tr judge people by their actions and he's really gotten so many FOIA requests. He's gotten so much information released. And on the East Coast, you have these range Fowler reports. If you remember that, it's uh, in the airspaces, Whiskey 72, et cetera, on the East Coast. When something flies into our airspace and it interferes with training, you actually have to cancel training uh, sometimes you have to cancel your engagements. You know, you may have to re refly sorties because there's something on the range. Normally, where I was in Phoenix, Arizona, it's on the ground. You know, you have people walking across these bomb ranges, which is extraordinarily dangerous uh, if you think about it, um, but also happens in the air. So on the East Coast, they had all these uh, range Fowler reports, um, basically hundreds of pages, and they cover up some of the information, right? And they say for national security reasons. But the information they cover is just seems totally ridiculous. You know, how how could the shape of something be classified? You know, how is that? How is the shape of, of something a, a pilot sees going to give away our national security secrets? You know, but at the same time, um, and I, I'm not going to tell people how or what, but you can actually I could track down who those people were if I wanted to, if I was really dedicated, you know, because they're not doing a good job of hiding the people's actual identifying information just like this, right? So Freedom of Information Act, it was not created so that we could dig up dirt on whistleblowers like this. You know, it, it's created so that we can gain transparency on the government. And so, I, you know, I, the whole thing is just, you have a troll, a, a troll supposed journalist who's out there digging up dirt um, through FOIA requests that should not be able, you know, through improper redaction of FOIA requests. Um, so the whole thing just, stinks. And, and basically, 
it's just a distraction, obviously, right? It's a distraction um, from what Grush is actually saying. So now what are we all talking about? We're talking about this other, this douchebag, essentially. Uh, that's what he was called. Uh, he was a douche around town is what Elon Musk actually called him. So uh, those aren't my terms. Um, so basically, we're focusing on this instead of focusing on Grush's claims, right? And that, that's what they want. You know, you have kids. Yeah. Uh, if something's going on, you just distract them with something else. And so I think yeah. it's just a distraction. David Grush, he's a combat veteran. He's been shot at. Like you said, he's he's had to deal with these issues, serious issues in his life. Um, he's had friends uh, commit suicide. So I don't think what some troll writes in a paper is really going to affect him. Um, you know, it's not going to hurt him, but it will affect future whistleblowers or it sends, you know, it's like a warning shot that we're going to dig up dirt on you uh, for future yeah. whistleblowers. So, uh, I mean, everything that He's supposedly a FOIA nerd, this guy Klippenstein. But just by releasing this information, what he's doing is he's he's going to hurt the FOIA process because now they're just going to not release anything because that's what the government wants is to not release any information. In this day and age, uh, people read a headline or the, the first few lines of a news story, and that's that's the whole story for them. People tend to not click into an article. The, Ken Klippenstein himself sent a tweet out saying, I have been let go. Uh, from the intercept um but then followed up with a separate tweet where he hadn't been let go major news organizations failed to check the content of the next tweet and reported he had been let go from his job when he hadn't so like you say the guy the guy knows his trolling knows his pranks all that kind of stuff he's a professional troll Um, Yeah. yeah but do you not think it's and like you say, it's good to hear you and your opinion. You don't think this is going to affect David Grush, given his mentality, what he deals with, his his build, his character, his personality. But the general public who are maybe looking from the outside to this topic for the first time in a long time, or maybe the first time ever, they they see headlines and what they see as the reporting of uh, former intelligence officer or whistleblower comes forward, says we have alien spacecraft and alien bodies. But in the next headline, they'll see, oh, the guy was a drunk and the guy suffers from mental health issues because that's how these things will be paraphrased and how they are being paraphrased. So does that campaign then work? Because the the 0.1% of us who have a big interest in this topic, the people listening to this, the people watching your podcast, they they know more of the detail. Whereas the general public, the 99% just see, well, the guy, the guy's an alcoholic. The guy has mental health issues. That's why he's saying this. They don't dig deeper into the credentials, his past, why he's saying what he's saying, the hearings. And that smear campaign is as poor as we can see it. For the masses, it works. And it totally <laughs> discredits for most people these claims. And that that was that's my fear. And it's so easily done. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think so. I think... Uh, and, you know, and when I started making YouTube videos, it's very scary to publish um, because you're you're fearful of re- releasing your vulnerabil- vulnerabilities, you know. Mm. And but what I found is is that we're all very not similar, but we all have everyone has issues, you know. Everyone has issues in the past, family issues, mental issues, health issues. It it's just a normal part of life, uh, especially in the military. If Alcohol is a huge issue in the U.S. military. Um, I'm assuming in other militaries as well, but it's just part of the culture. And, you know, if you don't drink alcohol, it's going to be a hard time fitting in into the modern military, at least the, the military I grew up in. 
you know, they, they've tried to change that, but it, it's so difficult, so difficult to change. So I would say that, you know, it shouldn't affect any, if it affects anyone's actual impression of this, then, you know, those people are the sheep anyway. I, I don't know how else we can <laughs> convince them. Uh, but what I found is usually sharing actually just makes people um, relate to you more. You know, he, he solved this problem. And I think it is it is good that he comes out and speaks. I released a tweet uh, yesterday that shows that 17, uh, 17 veterans a day are killing themselves. And this is an actual number. And so that's extremely high if you think about it. And obviously it's based off of issues I just talked about. You're putting people in uh, dangerous positions and then you have a huge culture of alcohol. Alcohol is a downer. You know, I actually, I quit. 15 years ago, again, I had alcohol problem um, and I have PTSD, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's just part of the par for the course. If you talk to any veteran, um, you know, they're probably not going to share that with you, but most of them probably have it. Uh, it's just, if you're trained to murder people, you know, I was literally, I would drop a bomb on your house, Andy. I'm sorry if I was ordered to, it, I was trained that way. And yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, I would hope I always said I would, you know, in, in the actual position that I would, I would take the the higher road. And I believe I would, but you're not given that information. You know, if someone's like going that, going that, you know, blow up that house as an F-16 pot, I'm going to blow it up. You know, uh, I'm going to follow orders. And just for me, that dealing with that training, that affected my brain and really changed it. And I had nightmares uh, and I still have nightmares. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, a, yeah. if you live through life, you're going to have some traumatic issue. And it doesn't matter if your issue is seeing someone blow up right in front of your face or the love of your life says that they don't want to li live with you anymore. Um, everyone's going to have some sort of trauma. So I, I guess if people, if that really affects them, uh, I, I mean, we can't always just talk down to the dumbest denominator. Um, at some point, people actually do have to use their brains and will have to engage or, or nothing's going to change. You know, I get a lot of heat for, I, I throw a lot of spears to the U.S., and U.S. populace, uh, but life is more nuanced than what you see. Uh, it's not just they're evil and we're good, okay? Because I've I've lived all in many different cultures. I'm in Turkey now. I've lived in South Korea. I've lived in Italy, uh, Spain. Everyone thinks they're the good guys, you know. And I've talked to Russians, um, and Russians also think they're the good guys, okay? So it doesn't. So if I take you know this person right out of America and get all their views from and then you take the exact same person right out of Russia and get all their views. I bet you could barely even t tell the difference, actually. Um, if if they're just thinking along those basic, just streamline, I only read the headlines, I drink a lot of alcohol and watch football. You know, if that's really your life, then I don't know. I guess I'm not concerned what those people think. Yeah, and it's like you say, some of those numbers, I've got friends who are in the military in the UK, and they have served in afghanistan iraq iran and, and various other places i know people who have had colleagues blown up with ieds and they were involved in the blast and they survived and their, their their friend their colleague their brother as they would consider them didn't and they almost live with a guilt that they have survived and and someone else didn't so it's it's a lot and they've all got various coping mechanisms whatever that might be um and that's again why i say folks and it's just my opinion you, you could share something differently but the it was gutter journalism it was such such poor taste and i think overwhelmingly the response was positive on social media that even folks who didn't necessarily 
by David Grush's claims, very much disagreed with the the tact or lack of tact that the journalist in question took with the the article from The Intercept. And and just to make sure this is clear, I'll I'll ask you directly, do you think this will have impacted other whistleblowers coming forward? I don't know. Um, I hope not. Uh, It almost seems like it came from his, uh, his actual superiors. You know, if I had to guess, uh, in the hearing, Grush said that he's had uh, superiors actually do administrative action against him. I don't know, because we've we've already had many of the, um, we had the 40 witnesses, right, that he's talked about that have already been sent to Arrow. They've supposedly talked to Arrow. Many of them have firsthand knowledge of the program. So I think for those people, no, but as it may stop them from coming out publicly. Yeah. So where their well, name I, I, is actually known when you hear about we have anonymous whistleblowers. And so that does hurt the process. If they're not willing to talk to us, then, you know, to the public, then how can we check that the government's not just, again, keeping all this information secret and not sharing it, which it really does look like Arrow. I don't know. They look very suspect at this point. Um, so I would say, yeah, it probably does affect some from coming out, but in the end, it, it it doesn't matter. I would I would tell people it really doesn't matter when everyone has issues. Um, just because you didn't watch your friend blow up, um, everyone has everyone has some sort of yeah. trauma. And I think the more we can realize that we're all human, it's not just good versus bad. It's not this comic book type uh, picture of the world that's painted in movies. You know, the U.S. has a huge uh, movie culture, and in the, in the movies, it's always you know the, there's the the good versus the bad. You know that. But in, in real life, I find that we're all humans. Everywhere I've traveled, everyone's just trying to, to make uh, sense of this world and get through life, you know, in a positive manner. Um, I don't think it's that clear cut. So I would hope that they that they do come out. It's not going to in the end, it's not going to affect them. You know, publishing is scary. No one wants to do it. You never want to give out your vulnerabilities. But especially for I would ask for these people who have been in combat, who have been in war, you know, I've had enough friends die, I guess, um, where I, I sit, how can I be scared to publish? That w- that's really what came down to me. And I've, you know, a lot of pilots I knew they would, they wouldn't give interviews at all ever because they, it almost seemed like they were more scared to give an interview than to go into combat. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I think a lot of the people I know would rather go into combat and get shot at than like go on CNN, <laughs> which is, that's just ridiculous. Uh, if you think about it. And so at the, at the end of the day, um, I'm not, I'm not scared of words. I'm just not, you know, you know, it, the whole sticks and stones, uh, saying, but it's, it's just fear. And if you're, if, if you're really scared of other people saying words that don't really matter, then it's, uh, I think your priorities need to be readjusted because, um, they're not going to judge you when you die. You know, um, you're going to be the judge. Uh, that's why I think integrity is, is, really at the end of the day is the most important thing. And, and often integrity is doing stuff you don't want to do because you think it's the right thing to do. You know, and I think ultimately that is integrity, right? Is yeah. when it comes down to something and you don't want to do it, or it, it's something that is, you're scared to do, but you know, it's the right thing. I think that is integrity. So I, and Grush has totally, he defines that for me. You know, I, I love the way he, he speaks about it. He's so clear. Um, and they ask him, why are you doing this? And he says, I just don't want to have regrets. 
you know, I want to know that I, that I did everything correctly. And, and that comes from in, integrity, I think. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is a topic where at the extremes, we're talking about extraterrestrial life, different dimensions, incredible technologies, life existing on other planets, universities, whatever it may be. And when it, the last few weeks, it's really shone a spotlight on the human impact of the UFO topic and we've, we've gone from talking about the alien bodies to to the individual people that this affects and this has affected and I think as over the last few years using a Lou Elizondo as an example a lot of folks just come forward and say well why don't you just tell us everything you know you know well one he goes to jail he lose the family lose a father a husband you know um but it's not just as easy as coming out and saying what you know. And, and we're seeing that now because David Grush in recent years has gone further than anyone else, especially in that kind of serious setting. And we're seeing the huge impacts it's having. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts. You may not have even seen it yet, given you're on vacation. In the last kind of couple of hours, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have published their latest weaponized episode. And a comment from that from, from Jeremy Corbell was that uh, David Grush has been silenced at the minute. And they won't talk too much around that. They won't speculate, even though it appears they know why and how. What do you think or do you know what that could be? And he mentions it's only temporary and he's been silenced for around at least a week, but it can't go on any longer than that. And I wondered, is that in an official capacity? Is that superiors? Is that something to do with his oath? Or what may that be? Yeah, I don't know. They said muzzled, actually. I watched that uh, that weaponized podcast. Yeah, it was a good one. I don't know. How do you muzzle someone? <laughs> you know, um, he's mentioned before when he's asked in the hearings, Grush was saying that I can't do that because there is an active investigation going on. So I don't know if he's been, uh, if they are actively looking into how that was leaked. You know, that could be the issue is if there is someone in inside uh, that Grush knows, um, you know, can he press charges against that person? I, that's what I would like to see, right? We, you know, we just never hear of any of these um, transgressions by the government. Is anyone ever in trouble? Does anyone ever go to jail? That's my question. Is anyone investigating that? You know, because they'll investigate, obviously, into into Grush's background. We have people investigating into Grush's background, seriously, obviously. And is anyone investigating into these transgressions, right? Into who leaked it? I mean, I think we should go after this, whoever leaked that information, I think Klippenstein could be held liable. I, uh, you know, if you can bring someone to uh, to court, does that really break any information, or is that just uh, releasing personal information on someone? You know, I would like to see someone go after Klippenstein, go after his his source, right? I mean, at least it, it seems like it, it's not legal. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, is that legal? I, so that, I guess that's what I'd like to see: is does the government ever is, are they ever held responsible? You know, if you look at what happened after Edward Snowden, Ron Moultrie came in. Did anyone go to jail, you know, for, for actually stealing literally everyone's information? And, and yeah, people get very mad about uh, the Second Amendment owning guns. But at the same point, uh, the government can literally just take, take all of our information illegally and no one was held accountable. You know, that just seems insane to me. Um, yeah, so I would love to see someone actually held accountable inside the government. I've got two more questions sort of on this uh, same tact and I'll go first with them. You done a video recently on the one of the things that came from the hearings was following the money 
And this is something that some of the congressmen and women seemed very keen on being a route that could essentially maybe bear some kind of fruit and you can get a physical outcome of, okay, it's going to maybe be hard to go and trace and find an alien spacecraft, let's just say. Even if it was in location A, it's maybe been moved since then, or it's hard to kind of get to from all kind of red tape. But with money, there is some sort of paper trail, electronic you know, tracing, all that kind of stuff. And do you think this is this is a good route to go down to keeping it on track that we're still looking for alien spacecraft, alien bodies or organics, whatever they might be called now, but following that money trail is going to help us get to some of these stovepipes or or contractors potentially that, that are keeping this technology and organic material secret. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, like, a, uh, yeah. Is anyone ever held accountable? That would be my question. And where, where does this money flow from? Uh, and I think it's just, it's just such a big problem is that how do you even start to address it? How do you start to address hundreds of billions of dollars? Um, you know, right now we sent, uh, I think last year we, the U S sent $113 billion, uh, to Ukraine. And I think Biden just asked for another $24 billion. And they justify that by saying that, oh, well, most of it's going to come back to the defense contractors, right? We're basically just buying our own weapons and then sending them to Ukraine to use against Russia, right? Hundreds of billions of dollars. Meanwhile, they turn off food stamps, um, many other things. So following the money is, is definitely where we, need to, where we need to start because obviously money um, has, I, I believe money has really just... Um, really pushed, kept this whole thing going. It's really kept it, kept it in continuing for so many years. So yeah, without a doubt. And that's what Tim Burchetta said is follow the money, start looking at, you know, who called, who called to pull the witnesses out, you know, and that's what we should, yeah. should be talking about. Instead of talking about Grush's background, which he's proven very credible, even with these recent allegations, you know, even probably more credible in my mind, who pulled out the witnesses, right? There were supposed to be six witnesses. Tim Birch had said the Pentagon has, has made a call. I would love to see that. How did that happen? Like that should be an investigation, right? I mean, yeah. why are the whistleblowers being um, threatened? Why are they being attacked? Why are whistleblowers uh, being pulled from hearings? I mean, that's what we should be investigating. We shouldn't be investigating the whistleblowers, um, you know, however many decade ago, uh, decade ago issues, right? We should be investigating why did two weeks ago uh, the whistle basically three witnesses pulled, and that there should be a paper trail there for sure. I, I mean, my own guess is that it came from a defense contractor to intelligence agency, intelligence agency to or or uh, congressman. So either defense contractor to the congressman or, and then the congressman calls uh, the Pentagon uh, or from the intel community to the congressman. Uh, and then the congressman calls and says, hey, don't, don't let this witness come to the Pentagon. Um, either way, I would love to see that investigated. I think we should follow that. And I'm, I'm guaranteed you're going to see a paper trail going from, you know, defense contractor to certain congressman or woman who's basically calling to get this uh, uh, whistleblower or witness removed. So that should be followed directly. 
to to become president or or work your way up in in politics, it takes money and it takes a lot of financial backing, uh, as as many folks will know. And I wonder, do is it too easy for representatives of the House, the Senate, um, congressmen and women to be essentially bought with the idea that you know we'll fund your next presidential campaign? 2024 is just around the corner, 2028 coming up, and you've got a lot of young, hungry politicians and a lot of more elder statesmen and women that it just takes a few kind of hundred million dollars of funding that they don't have to turn their attention off the UFO topic. And I'll bring into that, I don't know if you've seen Senator Gillibrand's video from about yesterday where she was talking about the UFO subject and I gave my opinion online and I just felt, and this isn't exactly, it's just my take, that's all it is, that her tone seems to be very, very different to how she's spoken about the subject before. And it, it seemed like a bit of a 180 from her usual approach to the UFO conversation. Maybe she was playing to the audience that she was in front of, but it essentially came down to your standard politician's answer of, you know, this guy was talking about, you know, alien bodies and spacecraft. You know, we're never going to potentially find anything out about this. We should just send these folks to Arrow. And it was like, huh. And it disappointed a lot of folks. And it just made me think, does a Senator Gillibrand who has aspirations for being president one day potentially see maybe this isn't the topic to go after if you want to to get the votes in? I don't, well, I saw, I guess I just got a different take from that Um from from that speech she gave, I thought it was more just the environment. And she trusts Kirk Pat- Kirkpatrick. Um, you know, she pushed, she's written tons of laws uh, pushing this, the UAP topic. Um, I, I see this again, where like in the UFO gr- world, we have to remember there's many, there's literally disinformation uh, and misinformation agents. There are agents, people probably from the government or from this uh, supposed an alleged secret organization that just want to stir up trouble, right? They want to distract, distract, distract the community. So it, same thing happened with John Greenwald, right? Where again, it's like these people who have really made gains. They've really pushed, pushed the envelope. John has released through his FOIA requests more information than probably anyone else, right? And yet he's like hated by so many people in the UFO community. It just blows my mind, man. People can just be um, convinced easily, and then they won't look into the information. So what I got from that speech Senator Gillibrand made is that she heard about these, um, the UFO, she heard about it and listened to people and wrote into and basically funded the office. So make sure that it was funded long-term and created arrow. And I think she has, she has faith in Dr. Kirkpatrick and she thinks he is capable but that doesn't mean he's not compromised or the actual office itself isn't compromised. So I guess I'm more disappointed just to see Arrow. Uh, I think Kirkpatrick could have, you know, he could have really, he could have taken a much different tact um, and pushed this much further, I think. And he still has the opportunity, but so far I've just been very unimpressed by, by what he's done at the Arrow office. So I'm more disappointed in that. But, but that was her. She created the office, essentially, wrote it into the law, it sounds like, and it, it, it was an amazing law, and created the office. And so the office is there, so at least there's some place for us to, to go to and to leverage. And as much, you know, as much trash as we send towards, you know, spears that we throw towards Dr. K, 
at least he's there. You know, there is someone that we can throw spears at, and that's thanks to Senator Gillibrand. So, uh, but back to your question on the money. Um, it, so from what I just researched uh, last week is it takes around $3 million now to win a congressional seat. So if you have $3 million and a reasonable candidate, uh, I think it's more likely that these lobby groups, military groups, they will just aim to try and win certain certain races that help them. You know, they're, they're smarter than we think. These lobbyists do this stuff professionally. They've been doing it for decades. They know the system inside and out. And what I learned is like the Armed Services Committee, there's certain committees that really make a difference. And the House Oversight Committee and the Senate uh, and, and House um, Armed Services Committee, it's not that many people. It's around 20 people, say, on each. So if it's $3 million to win a House seat and it's $26 million to win uh, a Senate seat, um, what it is is I think if they don't like a certain senator, they could threaten them or or at worst case, go uh, like AOC, say they want to remove AOC, uh, they can fund her um, opponent up to $3 million. And so I, I think that's how they can use the money um, as kind of like a scare tactic where, okay, if you're really going to, if you're going to go down this route, then we're going to fund your opponent up to $3 million, right? So that's one way they can, they can repress information. Or do you really want to wade into this UFO topic? Um, because if you do, now we're going to fund fully um, your opponent coming up in this next primary, for instance. And for senators, it's obviously a lot more costly, $26 million, but they do have a lot more sway. And, and that's why most of your, all your defense contracting money, 18 out of the 20 people that received money were on the Armed Services Committee uh, or directly write the law of how much money goes where. So like when Biden, when he when he signs up, when he's requesting Congress for another twenty four billion dollars to send weapons to a country on the other side of the world. Um, meanwhile, there's, you know, how many homeless people in the street, et cetera. Um, really, it's the senators that are in, on on those armed services committee uh, that will make that decision. You know, are we going to do this? And again, it go, the money just goes back to our defense contractors. So in their mind, it's just going back to America. Right. We're. And we're furthering our goal to to you know crush our enemy, right? So that's how they they justify it to themselves. So money is a huge issue. Um, I think we should definitely start following it and and tracking it down. I don't know how you get money out of politics. I think that's really the one thing the Constitution missed. You know, I heard a comment today like uh, Five Eyes is the backbone of our of our uh, country, and I think that's that's just a joke. You know, the backbone of our country is the Constitution. And whatever we've layered on, the military industrial complex has layered on. And that's where the money has actually gone into into politics. And so I don't know. I, I, I'm I don't know how you separate money from politics, but it's it's a huge issue in this case. No, of course. Um before we kind of move on to finish off on the Turkey stuff, I just want to ask you then, we've we've talked about the hearings, you've lived it, you've been there, you've you've seen firsthand the the, the comments, you've seen the reaction and fallout. Where is this going, in your opinion right now, if you had to, to speculate, what does the next maybe six months look like? Uh, do we get more hearings? Does it go away? Or are we still playing a waiting game? I, I, I hope seriously that we have hearings, Senate hearings in September. You know, so August is really the month off, from what I understand, in, uh, in Congress. So they, they take this off. But then September, when they come back, I think we need to, to do another push 
to call our senators, um, to call our congresspeople and let them know that, yeah, we, we, we need to know this information. It's not about we want to know is I think it's the most important topic um, that we have, right? You're talking directly to government transparency. You're talking to um, illegal um, illegal actions, really. These are not, if these actions are true, alleged by Grush, and it really sounds like they're true, and he has 40 other witnesses backing him up, then this is a complete overstep of the Constitution. You know, you, you just can't have these uh, unelected people um, basically going around and in, in deciding where all of our funding will go at the same time lying to us. And, and so I think Senate hearings is going to be up next. Grush said he has a hostile and uh, friendly witness list um, to give to uh, uh, the Congress people. So they should have that. And if we don't have uh, a, a report from Arrow, basically in the next six months, highlighting specifically all these 40 witnesses and their claims and defining what credible evidence is, then I, I don't know. I think that office just needs to be closed, essentially. Well, we're deep in the trenches, it seems, at the moment, waiting on kind of David Grush to be able to come out and speak again or kind of further, further response from the folks involved with that. And that's something time will time will tell. Um, we're going to go back a little bit, though, um, Chris, just to finish off. You're in Turkey, as we mentioned. There's a very famous video that if you've not seen, I'll post a link to it. And I'll post a link in the description to Chris's review of the incident around a year ago as well. And you include all the footage. But um, in Turkey some time ago, um, you'll have the exact dates. I think, was it 2008, 2009? Yeah, it was over three years. Um, 07, 08, and 9. Uh, yeah. amazing videos by this, this guy, Yalcin Yalman. And, uh, from this site, he was a security guard at the, you know, the, the Turks, they have these summer sites on the beach. They go there kind of uh, summer apartments and r- right on the beach. And they have uh, security guards at each one of these apartment complexes. And he filmed these amazing videos that I think in my mind are the best videos of, of, a you know, UFO of a UAP that I've seen anyway. And there's especially so much footage, you know, normally what we see is like three or four seconds, you know, or maybe you get a 20 second video. Um, but this is now you have many minutes over a period of three years. And I believe it was 2009. They even had a, in Istanbul, there was a UFO conference and Dr. Lear was there. And Dr. Lear even saw with his own eyes the the light and the distance. And then he saw uh, Yalman actually videoing the object. And he, you know, looked through the object. Um, so that just the the eyewitness accounts are amazing from Dr. Lear. Uh, he's dead now, unfortunately, but uh, there is videos of him talking about that. As well as one video that I really think is the strongest is it has the moon, right? And and actually the the photographer... He actually zooms in on the moon, right? Zooms out and then zooms right back in on the object. And from that, I could actually tell in my video the the phase of the moon, right? Based off the time and the date and it matched. So, you know, as high above the horizon as it was going to be, I think it was uh, 12 degrees above the horizon. And then the UFO would, that would put the UFO at seven degrees above the horizon. And, and the fact that he zooms out and zooms back in now, how can that be a lens element? You know, that's, that's probably the, the two biggest arguments I've heard is that it's a lens element um, or uh, it's a ship on the horizon. 
the but, cruise ship one yeah that's always the one that i tend to see come up yeah that's number one is oh it's a cruise ship it's been debunked right and that that goes out there and then everyone just glosses over it right they're like okay it's been debunked uh but the cruise ship cannot be seven degrees above the horizon you know cruise it, that's a flying cruise ship um you know the cruise ship it, even even with all these fata morganas you know there are these um weird illusions that you've seen maybe but it's still going to be within one or maybe it two degrees like of the horizon yeah I seen one in the UK a couple of years ago and the headline was like floating ghost ship and it wasn't. It yeah. was because the way the sun was and it looks like it's floating above the water away out on the distance, but it's not. It's literally just a trick of the light. But the cruise ship one's really interesting. And like you say, these videos, if people haven't seen them, the, I love the fact that he does zoom in and out constantly to show you that there's at least some context. People always ask about recording things, especially at night and taking photos you need to try and give as much context as possible. If you can fit the roof of a house in or a tree or a telegram, a telegraph pole or something, just so you can see size and like you've managed to work out, well, because of the moon, you can work out the time, the date, where it is, and then there is the object in the distance. Um, famously, you can almost, well, you essentially can make out two figures as well, can't you? People have managed to zoom in and isolate a, a, a kind of section of the video and it looks like two sort of almost stereotypical grey type beings almost through a window. That appears to be too good to be true. But in your eyes, Chris, can you see much wrong with this video that says it's not authentic? Um, yeah, I mean, that's why I came to Turkey is that my impression was it either had to be an, an elaborate hoax um, or it's real. Um, I, I don't see how you would reproduce it, and I don't even see how you would you would do it as a hoax, you know. Um, so I was curious, and that, that's why I came. That's why I came to Turkey, and I met two witnesses. Uh, one of them knew Yalman, and was she lived at the site, and she said, uh, "Yeah, he videoed him right from this spot." She showed me the spot that he videoed him from, um, and she sees the lights as well. So just from coming here, I, I guess I don't. I can't. You know, I have one, uh, two interviews, really. I don't think it's going to change anyone's mind if they really think it's it's fake. I don't know how else to to present it. But for my own gratification, um, you know, she vouched for Yalman. And, and based on the video itself, I, I just don't know how you would fake it. So in my mind, yeah, it, it appears authentic. Yeah, I'll put those links in. Um, I can't remember. I'm a member of your Patreon and I've seen you standing on the spot. Is that just on Patreon at the moment? People can see that picture where you are. Uh, no, actually, I shared it on, on X. All right, okay. I, shared, I did share it on Twitter. So yeah, I can send it to you okay. if you want to put it in here. No, I've got it. That's fine. I'll okay, get it. I just cool. couldn't remember if it was something I just saw on the Patreon or if it was on there as well. But I'll put the link to your video from a year ago in. Uh, people should definitely keep up with Chris's content as well because you'll be following up on that. You're out there looking to do some interviews in Turkey just now. Bits on the ground uh, research, which is always welcome. And uh, Chris, just from you, what's coming up next? What are you working on and what's next on the channel? Uh, so for us, um, we're actually going down south to Cappadocia and then uh, leaving out of Antalya. I had hoped to get to Gebekli Tepe, but uh, was unable. Uh, but at this point, yeah, we're we're launching. We have UAP Society, so I've been pushing through that. Uh, we have a new website coming out, and the point is to really to try and use Web3. We're the only Web3 company uh, that actually focuses on UAPs. And I know that uh, Web3 is is brand new. Um, 
you know, most people aren't, aren't uh, invested in it or don't use it. Uh, but that's what I'm focusing on um, in the background. Otherwise, I hope to cover these hearings. You know, if there is September hearings, uh, I use uh, patron funds. That's what I used to actually go to D.C. last time. So if there is another hearing, there's a potential I could go there as well. But yeah, I hope just to keep putting pressure onto the system, you know, we need to protect our whistleblowers um, as much as possible just so we can get more information coming out. So I'll continue to focus on that and hammer on that on uh, on my YouTube channel, et cetera. Awesome. Well, Chris, always good to have you on. Thank you very much for taking time out of your vacation and thank your family for us as well. And uh, hopefully speak to you soon after those hearings again. Uh, excellent, Andy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Always good to talk with you. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show out on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening folks It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck The little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when I shoved out the screen he made it an issue I don't think he expected me to see his ass but I'd had some champagne and smoked Yeah.